has continued on uh, throughout, uh, throughout time. This concept isn't new to us. We know that we have an enemy that has blinded the world from seeing the hope of the gospel. And so we have to endure persecution until Christ returns. And as we look around us, it seems like every day some Christian is getting called out, getting canceled within our world. And we get asked to keep our God in churches and that there's no room for God in the world today, even though we know that Jesus is the hope of the world. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to read Christian uh, missionary biographies, except for the fact that they could be very convicting. I mean, these men and women who endured such horrendous things sometimes, such crazy sicknesses, uh, just persecution, and yet they stood firm for Christ. I think of Jim Elliott and the missionaries who were reaching out to the Alka Indians who, once they landed and, and were talking with them, they were, they were brutally murdered. Uh, but then God used that uh, to allow the, some of the wives to even go back and to minister, and to many of those Indians came to Christ through their ministry. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany and and during the reign of Hitler, and he was one of the few pastors, sadly, who stood against what Hitler was saying. While, while many pastors were excited about what Hitler was saying, he was one of the few that stood up against him, and he ended up losing his life at the hands of the Nazis. Those, scare, those stories can be scary for us as we maybe even find ourselves questioning what, what could happen to us down the road from now. What, what might we face in light of our commitment to Christ? And it's in these moments that we are challenged with, with questions. How, how would I respond if I was put in a similar situation as some of the ones I've mentioned? Would I stand firm or would I cower in fear if I'm faced with the decision to deny my faith or face death? Our psalmist here faced some tough times in his life. We don't know what exactly but nevertheless, regardless of the level of strife that he faced, he knew where to turn. And, and here's the challenge that he gave us. Here's the call for us in our lives. We are called to set our gaze on the Lord. Set your gaze on the Lord. So let's jump into this psalm together. Follow along with me as I start reading Psalm 123. To you I lift my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for just the reminder that we have that, that Jesus is better than anything. He's better than our circumstances. He's better than our sorrows. He's better than our victories, Lord. You, you are... You are greater than all things. Help our hearts believe. Because, Lord, I'm sure there are people here 
who, who feel what the psalmist feels of the contempt of the world, the, the sinfulness all around them, the sinfulness within. It can become overwhelming at times, God, but in those moments, Lord, we need to set our gaze upon you. So, Lord, this morning, would you encourage us with that? Would you remind us of where our help and where our hope comes that we would find great joy in Christ this morning? Father, we need you. We are, we are tempted to turn and look to other things, but you alone satisfy. And so, Lord, would you show us that this morning, that you are all satisfied. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, verse 1 here really sets the course of this psalm. Uh, this is the action that sets him up for finding help in, in times of distress. It's, he says this, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Now I want to take a minute to just discuss what does it mean to lift up our eyes to something. This, of course, has nothing to do with the ability to physically see. Otherwise, there'd be no hope for the blind. This is not about a physical reality. This is not about a directional thing either. It's not like we have to look up in order for God to hear our cries. It's not a posture that we have to have physically of looking up. This is a matter of the heart. The psalmist is speaking of what is our heart intent on? What is our heart set on? What is our heart seeking after? This is what he is talking about. He is saying, to you I lift up my hearts. My heart is focused on you. I'm looking to you. I'm putting my trust in you. This is what he is talking about. You, we can't physically see God. If you remember in Exodus 33, 20, God said no one can see God's face and live. This is all a matter of the heart. And there's a reason why the psalmist has his heart turned to the Lord. But we don't read that until the end of this psalm. Verse 3. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. Of the contempt of the proud. The reason why he's crying out is because of all this contempt. Contempt means they've received scorn. They've been disrespected. God's people have been mocked and despised. And so he's calling out to him. He's looking to him. He's setting his heart on, on God because of these things. Now remember, this psalm is part of a, a, a set of psalms, this book, these, this book of psalms that are titled... It's the, the list of all of these from 120 to 134, a song of ascents. Uh, these are psalms that the Israelites put together. They weren't written in order. They just gathered these psalms. Like, these are fantastic for us as we make our way back to Jerusalem to the temple. So this, was, this is what they sang together every time they went. And, and no doubt, they're just recounting the, the victories of old, reminding them of what God did to the Egyptians when they mocked and scorned and imprisoned and, and put on these heavy burdens on the Israelites only to watch God through, the, through Moses deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Perhaps they shared stories of Goliath and the Philistines when they were taunting the Israelites until David showed up with a sling and some stones and struck down the giant. Perhaps they Later on in life, after 
the exile. They remember when Nehemiah went to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the people that mocked him and tried to stand up against them. And even in our world today, when we stand up for the things of God, when we call out sin, when we declare Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, what does the world do to us? The world mocks us. The world disowns us. The world disrespects us. The world scorns us. This is the way of the believer in Christ. It's marked by contempt of the world, which is why this psalm is still very much applicable to us today. The Israelites had more than enough of contempt, and perhaps you feel that this morning. You've had enough as well. So how do we deal with it when we find ourselves overwhelmed by the troubles of life, overwhelmed by the contempt of the world? And the psalm lays, lays out what we are to set our gaze on. And the first thing that we see is this. Set your gaze on the sovereign God. Set your gaze on the sovereign God. Look again at verse 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. So the psalmist here, he's, he's turning his heart to the Lord. He's looking to him for help. And, he, and here's why I love this verse. He doesn't just focus on the Lord and that's it. He doesn't just say, okay, Lord, I'm turning my attention to you. I'm turning my attention to you. Lord, my heart is being turned to you. No, he's reminding himself why he can turn his heart to the Lord. God, the reason I can turn my heart to you is because you are enthroned in heaven. You are established in glory. You are sovereign, reigning over all. You are completely in control. And so I can come to you because you are completely in control. I can come to you because you are sovereign. He's not throwing up a Hail Mary to the big guy in the sky. This is the one who is enthroned in the heavens. He is firmly planted. Do you see the difference between just lifting your heart to the Lord, lifting your eyes to the Lord, and lifting your eyes to the Lord who is enthroned in heaven? God is sovereign. Turn with me just a, a few in the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 45. See just the strength and the power of God as he speaks. We, we see a little bit, a glimpse of who he is. We must understand the power of our God and why we can lift our eyes to, to him when we are facing contempt. Isaiah 45, starting in verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. And this is what the Lord says. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. 
I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Brothers and sisters, our God cannot be moved. Our God cannot be stopped. Everything that he intends to do, he will do. God's success rate is 100%. Therefore, everything that you face, God is aware of, and he is completely in control of it. And he has you firmly in his grasp. You remember the book of Job in the beginning, where Satan is pondering, trying to find somebody who he can tempt, and God's like, consider my my servant Job, tempt him. But I'm only going to let you go so far. God showed his power to Satan right there. You can only go as far as I let you. Do you believe that, believer? That God is sovereign and in control of your life and only is going to allow things to go so far? And that he knows what's going on and he has you firmly in his grasp? We read this even in Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The kings of old thought they had it. They thought they were in control. But the reality is they were only king because God allowed them to be. The government of the United States has no authority except for what God allows them to have. And he will say only so far. God reigns supreme Oh, that we would learn to trust the one who is well-established in glory. Brothers and sisters, when you find yourself in times of contempt from those around you, don't let the enemy tempt you into believing he doesn't care for you. His eyes are always on his people, and he never loses track of you. The ones who are after you have no power over the sovereign God who is actively ruling and reigning even Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you believe to be true of your God, of the God of the Bible? Do you believe that he is indeed sovereign over everything? And if so, does your life show that you believe that to be true? What in your life right now do you need to entrust to the sovereign ruler of the universe set your gaze on the sovereign god look at verse 2 behold as the eyes of servants look to the hand of the ma- of their master as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress so our eyes look to the lord our god till he has mercy upon us not only Are we to set our gaze on the sovereign God, but set your gaze on the provisional God. Set your gaze on the provisional God. I don't know about you, but when I 
I first read through this, I had to pause for a moment when I saw the word mistress. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I grew up, that was a different word that, I, that, that, that is clearly not what it means here. So mistress, where I grew up, it was, it was the girlfriend of a man who was married to somebody else. This is not what the mistress is in the scriptures here. The mistress refers to a lady, the lady of the house, right? The queen, if you want to say. She's the wife of the man who is overseeing the household. She's one of authority, and she would have maidservants under her. So why does a servant look to the hands of their master and the maidservant to her mistress? It's because the servant and the maidservant were at the mercy of the one who was in control of the house. Whatever they would receive was from the leaders, from the masters of the home. And in the same way, the sovereign God in heaven is the one who provides for us. We are desperate for God to provide for us. And so we turn our attention to our providing Father in heaven. Here's the thing, believer. It's one, it's one thing to believe God can provide for us. It's another thing to go to him for provision. Here's the good news. God at times, does pursue us. When we were lost in our sins, when we were not seeking after him, he sought after us. And for those of us who have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, he has rescued us because of him pursuing us. But this doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in this matter. We are still called to go after him. We are still called to come to him. We have to make the decision to pursue him daily. Why? Because Psalm 46.1 reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Listen, God isn't like, hey, you need anything? I'm going to be a few houses down, Okay. I'm out there, leave a message, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. That's not the way God works. He's very present. He's right there. And so often we're like, God, where are you? And God's like, I'm right here. Are you turning to me? Are you giving over what is heavy on you? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see, far too often we believe that God provides, but then we live a different kind of life. We run to substances to try to find relief. We run to people to try to find relief. When the first thing, the first one we need to run to is God himself. And here's the amazing thing. Like Joshua 1.5 reminds us, and it's also quoted in Hebrews 13.5, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Our temptation when we find ourselves in desperate need is to believe that God has abandoned us. But let me remind you of the hope of Philippians 4.19. My God will supply most needs, some of your needs, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that you have every single thing that you need in Jesus Christ. That if you don't have it in your life right now, you don't need it. And he, here's the problem. 
we mix up need with want sometimes, don't we? Lord, I really need a fancy car right now. Uh, we, could, we, could, we really need a super nice car. I, I really need a big house. I really need this and that. We mix up what we really need, but we have everything we need in Christ. So much of the Christian life is about what we choose to believe. What do we call that? We call it faith. Faith is believing in something or someone so much that it leads to action. Faith let me say that again, is believing in something or someone so much so that it leads us to action. F faith is not just believing something to be true, but then it's, it's acting upon it. We can't say, well, God is a providing God, and then, and then, and then w sit and worry about how he's going to provide for you. You see how the two don't align? Our faith in believing that God will provide will lead us to trust in him when it comes to a place where we find ourselves in need. That God will supply everything we need according to the riches in Christ Jesus. This is faith. Faith, true faith, always leads to action. We say this. We are saved by grace alone, but saving faith is never alone. Turn with me to James chapter 2. We see this uh, in, in this book. And early on in the early church, this was like a, a controversial book because they believed so firmly that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, that this seemed heretical, but, but really it's not heretical at all. This, this lines right up with understanding what faith is, especially as we look at Abraham. And this is what James does in his book. Look at James 2, starting in verse 14. What is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is it's dead. It's not real. It's not there. Verse 18 continues, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Oh, you do so well. <laughs> this is a mockery here if, you, if you're not sure. Oh, good job. Oh, very done. Very well done. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. They, in essence, he's saying, I think the demons do more than you. They even shudder at it. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. You remember what Abraham was asked to do? God said, Abraham, here's your long-promised son that came to you in well, 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 well into late age where you should not have had kids anymore. This is a promise I gave to you and that you would, he would, you would fill the world with, with your image, with, your, with my people through your seed. And then he comes to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice now your only son. Now, if Abraham would have said he had faith, okay, God, I trust you, but then refused to sacrifice his son, would he have had faith? No. 
But because he had genuine faith, believing that God fulfills his promises, even though it didn't make sense that the promise was Isaac, and Isaac was about to be killed, he trusted that even, we read further in Hebrews, that God could raise him from the dead. That's what Abraham believed. His faith led him to action. Brothers and sisters, so much of our life, we say we believe things, we say we have faith, but then we live as if we have none. It's like a child standing on the edge of a pool with his father calling him to jump. Son, do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you, then jump. Nope, not doing that. That's not faith. We, we can't say we believe something and then not act upon it. God is a providing God, and for this psalmist, his life reflected his theology. I think some of our problem is, is we live in such a fast-paced society. We are running a million miles an hour. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I love me some Chick-fil-A, and I am blown away at how fast they work. I have no idea. They're always like 50 million people in line, and they are the quickest I, I've ever seen a fast food restaurant go through. And most of the time, the orders are accurate as well. That's not the case at the Castle McDonald's on 15. Uh, I would still be waiting in line from a year ago if I was still there. I've given up on that place. If you work there, I still love you, by the way. But, but we have such a fast food mentality. When we come to the Lord, we want to go through the drive-thru and say, Lord, I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take that. Thank you, five minutes, and we want it so that we can go on with our life. But here's the thing. God knows what's best for us. God knows that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith, we need faith to trust God even when we can't see it. And sometimes the best thing that God does is wait. Sometimes we just need to be still and know that Jesus is Lord. I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where He's telling them, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of the trials that we experience. It was so bad that we despaired of life itself. But Paul realized the reason why God allowed him to go through the suffering. Because he says it was to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Brothers and sisters, God will provide everything you need, but it's not on your timetable. Because he knows what is best for you. And God moves in mysterious ways. I've had so many times where I'm like, Lord, do this, do this, do this, and I think it's going to work. And then God slides in and does something very different. And I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you for not answering the way I wanted that answer. Do you trust that God knows what's best for you? Do you trust that if, this is, if it's something you're praying for that you desperately need, that he will provide? Are you entrusting your future to a faithful God who knows what you need when you need it? God doesn't keep us from facing difficulties. He allows us to face them so we learn to trust in him. So what do you need to hand over this morning? What do you need to trust God to provide you set your gaze on the provisional God look at verse 3 
Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. Of the contempt of the proud. Here's the last thing that we need to set our gaze on. Set your gaze on the merciful God. Set your gaze on the merciful God. It it takes humility for us to understand that we are needy people. Only the humble turn to the Lord. And when it comes to mercy, there's only one person we need it from. Simple, very simple definition of mercy is mercy when we don't get what we deserve. The psalmist understood that, there, that he deserved so much more than what he was receiving. What is man, God, that you are mindful of him? I mean, the reality is for all of us here, God could have just as easily condemned us all to hell and been good and just in doing that. And yet, he has not treated us as our sins deserve. Notice he's asking for mercy in light of the scorn received from those who are at ease. And this, this week I found myself like, Lord, what, what is it? Who are, the at, who are those at ease that would scorn believers? And, th- and then I, like I realized this is, this is speaking of the immoral. Those who, who, have, who don't even think about right and wrong. They just eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever they want to and not worry about any conviction of sin or whatever that is. Or not even think about that. So these are people who live with no conviction. They just, they just do whatever they feel like it. Whatever their flesh tells them to do, they do. Without looking for any feedback on whether or not it's a wise decision. These are, and, and so when you're not facing the, the condemnation of, of sin or the, the guilt of sin, then you just live at ease. And that creates a major problem because then they look at us, Christians who are trying to live godly, holy lives, and they don't like that. They look at us as if we are crazy for living how we live. Fun killers. They look at us as being legalistic, stuck up. We get called arrogant sometimes for striving to live holy lives, even though we may be trying to live it humbly. And somehow our morality makes them feel like we are looking down on them. That's not always the case. All I know is that when I live in immorality, my life is miserable. As a kid, the Lord saved me at a young age and going into high school, I, I strived to live a righteous life. Didn't do it perfectly, but I wanted to honor the Lord with the way I lived my life. And I don't know if you've paid attention to high school and especially being in school around other kids, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. Like, it, it's hard. I, I felt very different because there's so many different things I chose not to participate in. Music I didn't listen to. Movies I didn't want to watch. Just sinful activities that I chose not to be a part of. And I even had a neighbor who claimed to be a Christian who looked at me as some goody two-shoes. Like, that's not, that's not me at all. I'm just trying to live a God-glorifying life because that brings far more joy to me than pursuing my own flesh. This is the scorn that comes upon believers when we choose to follow the ways of God. And let's be honest, sometimes it is just overwhelming. 
And sometimes, even as Christians in a church, we can feel alone. It's in those moments where the psalmist calls for us to fix our gaze on the merciful God. We also have to deal with the proud. There are people who believe so firmly against the, against the Bible and against Christianity that it's why there's persecution in the world. It's why that many, numerous amounts of people have been martyred for their faith by the arrogant. The world can't handle Jesus. That's why they killed him. I think of Martin Luther even, who in the Catholic Church desired for there to be one unified church around the gospel, nailed the 95 theses on the doors of the Catholic Church, rejecting much of their teaching. And what did he get in return? He was scorned. He was rejected, and he lived as an exile. These are all reminders, brothers and sisters, that this is not our home. And when we face this day after day after day, it can get so wearisome. How many of you came in today weary of the world? I've talked to some of you and the trials of going to your jobs and having to deal with immoral people, angry bosses, just full of sin and hatefulness, frowning down on your Christianity. I've had many conversations where, hi, I'm Ben, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. And out the door they go. Like, oh, great, we've got a pastor that moves into our neighborhood. The same thing, maybe perhaps you have experienced some of that. It's wearisome, but listen, in these moments, this is when God calls us, the psalmist calls us to fix your gaze on the merciful God. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture if that's okay to have. It's Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, turn to the God of mercy. Turn to the one who spared no expense for your pardon. Turn to the one who was scorned for the sins of every person who would ever believe so that through faith and repentance we might have salvation in Christ. Listen, Jesus didn't die on the cross for us and then leave us on our own. Believer, he loves you deeply. He sees you in your suffering. Take your gaze off of your circumstances and turn to the merciful God. Look, it says we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. How many of you this morning are in need of mercy and grace? If that's you, you can draw, you can go to the throne of grace confidently. You don't have to cower. You don't have to look at your sin and think God can't handle a sinful person to come into his presence. That's what Jesus died for. You can come boldly to him. Brothers and sisters, if you're carrying a burden this morning, Lay it at the feet of Christ. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give you everything you need? He is eager to hear from you. 
draw near and do so confidently. So as we close this morning, what do you need to lay down at the feet of your Savior today? Turn your gaze to him. Remember, he is the God who is sovereign over all things. He is the God who provides whatever we need for life and godliness. And brothers and sisters, he is the God of mercy. Let me leave you with a a few things that you can put into practice this week. I encourage you to memorize Psalm 123, verse 1, a very simple verse, but yet a profound one. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to remember to turn to the Lord. I'm often floored by the times where, like, I'm bringing a burden to somebody, and they're like, have you taken it to the Lord? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. (laughs) Turn to the Lord, the sovereign one. And then just uh, encourage you to prepare your heart for next week. Read through Psalm 124. I'm a little bit jealous. I won't be here. Uh, We have a family wedding, uh, and it's going to be a crazy Saturday night. Uh, busy Saturday night, so I won't be here next week, but Mark Jones will bring the word. But Psalm 124 is such a fantastic psalm. And so come ready, prepared to hear from the Lord. Question for you to ponder. Where are you looking? Where do you look to for hope? Who do you look to? Turn to the sovereign, provisional, merciful God. And then lastly, hand over your troubles. Hand over your sin. Hand over your strife. Trust the Lord that he will hear you. Well, as I pray, I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to lead us in a song. But let's go to the Lord now. Father, I thank you for your grace, for your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see, Lord. I pray that you would help us, Father, to not just believe, to say we believe that you are sovereign, not just to believe that you provide everything we need according to the riches in Christ, not just to believe that you're merciful, but to live it out, to have genuine faith that leads us to action. God, that if we're carrying burdens and we're heavy-hearted, that we would lay them at your feet. And I pray that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory, your mercy, your grace. God, thank you that you hear the cries of your people. Thank you that you don't hear just, you're not waiting for us to get ourselves right in order to come to you, but that you've made a way to come in our darkest moments. And so God, no matter where anybody finds themselves, Lord, if they need to Whatever they need to turn over to you, God, grow their faith to do so and to live in light of what they say they believe. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing.